Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of It's Easy Sun, your life lessons on your journey to your purpose. You know, people keep laughing at me because I end up saying the same thing at the start of every show that I have a special guest on. Well, all the guests are special. That's why they're invited here. But tonight I have a young man that um, I've been watching from a distance and admiring what he's doing, not only just in his own career, but how he gives back and what he's trying to do in his professional life, I would say today, and how he touches so many young people. You heard from Desmond Dunham about two weeks ago and what he's doing through Kid Elite Sport. But today I have another young man that's changing lives, quite frankly, and this time it's through the sport of soccer. Uh, Desmond was through the sport of track and field, but with me today is Mr. Gregory Simmons. And as I said, it'd be a dynamic interview, someone who um, is making an impact. And as we, we have heard from many of you and your feedback from the parents, the moms, the grandmoms, and the students and young adults alike, is the authenticity of the guests that keeps you guys coming back, listening in and sending comments. So ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, I welcome to the podcast this week, Mr. Gregory Simmons. Mr. Simmons, how are you doing, sir? I'm great, man. How are you? Doing good, doing good. So first, thank you for joining me. And it's second, it will be a good interview. I, I know because as I've said in the intro that I've been watching what you're doing and your good friend, Andre Virtue back home in Jamaica and what he's doing all through the sport of soccer and just changing lives is more than a game. It's really about empowering young people to look past the stations they're currently in in their life. And I just want to say to you at the outset, kudos to you and, and good stuff that you're doing, sir. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Okay, great. So what we do on the podcast is basically, I just ask a, a beginning open-ended question. And from that open-ended question, derivative questions will come. So we'll start from your early years, your family, what grounds you, uh, prep school, grade school, high school, college, and in your professional career uh, and what you're doing today. And quite frankly, just to share words of wisdom and encouragement for the folks that will listen in, especially our young, young people and young adults. So that's just it. And before you know it, an hour will be by and we'll be off and running. Does that sound good? That sounds perfect. All right, great. So let's just jump right in. So who is Gregory Simmons? Just tell us a little bit about him. His early years, his family, his grounding, and what undergirds the person that we see and know today? All right. So yeah, I'm Greg Simmons. Yeah, I grew up in Kingston, Jamaica um, with you know, a big family. I'm a family-oriented person. Um, so I grew up in Jamaica. I lived in Kingston, as I said. Um, Went to St. Peter and Paul Prep School. Um, then, you know, did the common entrance, regular you know, exams, and um, went to St. George's College. Um, and throughout my prep school year is um, probably where I'll say I fell in love with the game. Um, I was privileged enough to have an older brother that played. My dad played for Jamaica. My uncle played for Jamaica. My aunts were track stars in Jamaica. So, it's, you know, sports was is what Simmons' name is all about. Um, mm -hmm. um, so I just grew up in, as an athlete, loved all sports. Um, but, you know, in Jamaica at that time, you know, you want to be like your older brother. He's you know, on the streets playing with his older friends. And I was I had the privilege enough, enough to, for them to allow me to play with them. Um, and I just fell in love with the game. Uh, so that's I'd say. I probably, you know, I think age of five, six is where they start allowing me to play. And then when I noticed that I was, I was able to hang with them at nine, 10, I was full on a big part of every scrimmage. That's the older boys were um, <laughs> setting up yeah. on the street, down under the lights, you know, the summer or, you know, if they find a field and, you know, when our friends come pick us up and have one back and, you know, everybody want me to be on the team. So it was very cool. You know, and I, you know, I really loved the game that as I, you know, my brother always tell me, he's the reason why I am who I am. <laughs> um, the game, in a game of football, he, he introduced me to the game, um, surrounded me with the, with the right, you know, folks. Um, and they allowed me to play and express myself. So I was one of those players that loved to express themselves, try tricks and different things. Um, so, yeah, it was fun. It was, you know, my childhood in Jamaica was the best. I would never, you know, I wish I was able to have that opportunity for my kids. And that's why every time I have an opportunity, I take them back. Um, so, yeah, so I went to, you know, Peter and Paul, we won. 
I think the Alberta Cup for the first time we beat Mona Prep. That was a big achievement. Wow. For us, um, actually scored the winning goal up at Hillel to take us into overtime to penalty kicks in the last nine moments of the game. Andre Virch across it. And I had it in and we went into penalty kicks and we won on penalty kicks. So that was a big deal. That was like winning the World Cup at that time. Because <laughs> uh, I remember Andre showed me a video because, you know, Mr. Virch always had these videos. Nobody else had videos or cameras, but for some reason Mr. Virch had that. So I might say maybe 10 years ago, he showed me the video and, you know, I scored a goal and everybody run on the field and it was lifting me up. My mom was screaming because, she, you know, she was scared I was going to get hurt. Um, but it was a great experience. Uh, I'll never forget that. So then I went to St. George's College. Obviously, my brother went to St. George's College. Um, you know, so I, when, even when I was in prep school, I used to go to him every morning cup match, watch him play. And I just saw the vibes and the energy. Um, and again, that was my dream to play for St. George's College. Um, so I played Pepsi there. We won Pepsi. Um, unfortunately, I don't think I played Colts. I played Pepsi one year. I maybe played Colts one year. And then I jumped straight to Money Cup. And then at that time, they said, if you know, I had to choose between Money Cup and Colts. You couldn't do both for some reason. I don't know. I still don't understand why, because I knew many people did that. So I didn't and I ended up playing probably half of a season of Colts. And then I went straight to Money Cup. Maybe third farm was playing Money Cup. Um, so, yeah, and that was, on, again, you know, playing Money Cup during that time at Savannah from Park. third farm, you played Money Cup from third farm. That's impressive. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, so, well, obviously, I was playing, yeah, I played third form, four, yeah, actually, yeah, because I, I only played two years of Money Cup, and then I left, I left in, I left Jamaica in fourth form, right, yeah, um, fifth form, fifth form, yeah, I left Jamaica, so, yeah, three years, um, wow. yeah, so, <laughs> the first year was, I didn't, obviously, I didn't play much, I was playing, I played some, I was training, but obviously, that's where I wanted to be. <clears throat> um, and I thought I could play both. But I remember I was going to a course game and they got a call that we can't play. It was me, Ali Rose, I think, Andy Williams. We couldn't play course. For some, I don't know. Whatever, whatever rule they had at the time, we couldn't do it. Um, so we ended up just playing Money Cup. Um, so, yeah, so that was it. Money Cup was, um, we won Walker Cup um, my, my second year. And then the third, the third year, we... Um, my third year, we actually we won the World Cup. My third year, I was second leading scorer in Money Cup that year, um, and I, and that's the year when I um, had the opportunity to move to the states. And we can get into that. Yeah. But that's yeah. the story. That's the story in Jamaica. Again, my life in Jamaica was amazing. Uh, yeah. Best best childhood. Well, you know, something is interesting. You said something. I always go back to the parents. You said they're lifting you up. Your mom run out, afraid that you'll get hurt. <laughs> And I've, yeah, I've yeah. seen um, your interactions and, you know, the way you talk about mom and dad. Tell us a little bit about the family outside of sports. What was that like, the, fa the family dynamic? Yeah, the family was, was everything. I mean, that was a big part of my childhood. My, you know, both my parents, I grew up in also with both my parents. <clears throat> and both my parents are still together today, married 50-something years. Um, all my aunts and uncles are still married. Um, so that's the example that was set for us as youth, that family come first. Um, we all have issues and differences, but we stick together no matter what. Um, so that was a big, big factor in my, in my uh, childhood. And that's, that's who I am today. And anything that I do, it's, it's a family. I remember my parents, my mom always said, it takes a village. So we had, we, even if you're not a media family, you're a family. Mm -hmm. um, so we had a bunch of uncles and aunts, even though they're not blood family, they're family. Um, and those are the, you know, the villages that it, yeah. it, it takes to raise, raise kids nowadays I mean, back then. Um, so, yeah, it was a big part. And a bunch, you know, we had, it was so, it was my parents. When I was growing up, I had my aunts move to D.C. And then I had my other aunts that already live in D.C., went to Howard, graduate, got married, and they stayed in D.C. So it was only my parents and my uncle that stayed in Jamaica and he was the colonel in the army, Colonel, Colonel Simmons. So he was, you know, he's doing well. So he stayed, my parents were fine. So they stayed, everybody else migrated. Um, mm. And then we can get into that half when yeah, I yeah, moved to America yeah. and all that, but Absolutely. that's a big part of our lives. Yeah. 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 The, the family is everything growing up in Jamaica, family is everything. 
and not only the, your immediate family, but the community family and the extended exactly. family. Yeah. So you went through Peter and Paul. Uh, I will tease you a little bit. That's purple and white, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> right, just, checking. <laughs> just checking. Just yeah, checking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, Peter and Paul, St. George's College. Peter and Paul, excellent school, by the way. St. George's yeah. College, we all know. North Street. Yeah, yeah. That we have had over the years. But North Street is always North Street. So we can't walk past that. Yeah. So you get to the United States, and um, what was that like? Howard University. So you got a scholarship to Howard. How does that? How did that work out? Yeah. So I left Jamaica in fifth form. So what happened is uh, my uncle, Mr. Goodlett, was a professor at Howard. He had four boys. They all played soccer. Raymond Goodlett was on the U.S. national team, U16 at the time. I was on Jamaica, U16 at the U17 at the time. So he just reached out to my mother one summer and said, listen, I think it's time we talk about bring, getting Greg up to the U.S. so he can get used to the, the American system, um, getting playing some club ball, potential, get some, you know, get seen for scholarships and all that. Um, and my dream, my, my, my life dream was always to be a professional football player. Um, and, and I just love the game. So for me to hear there's an opportunity to come to the States because I know Raymond was playing on the national team. I'm like, wow, this is, sounds like a great opportunity. So my parents, you know, mentioned it to me in the, I think it was like in July, um, 1991, um, or June of 91. And I was like, for me, it's a no brainer. I mean, even <laughs> yeah. though mining, mining cup was going great. Um, I had another year to play Money Cup is a is a top top team. We were a strong team in ninety in ninety one. Um, Ali Rose and they were, you know we had an amazing team, uh, which that team went on to win ninety two when I left. Um, but it was just I just knew back then it was a great opportunity for me. It was hard for me to leave because I remember we went to um, <clears throat> we went to um, Independence down in Ochi with all of my bridging them and. I remember my parents say, yo, we're coming to pick you up now. And it, it, it hit me. Like mm. I was there with my boys and it hit. And I said, wow, that's, this is it. And they will tell you the story today. I bought like a baby. Yeah. But I knew, I just knew for me, for my life journey, this was a great opportunity that I couldn't, I couldn't turn down. But it was hard. So I moved, I moved in with the Goodlets. Um, I went to high school for two years before um, Howard. Um, so obviously, my, all my all my uncles went to Howard, my aunts went to Howard, all my cousins. I had cousins. You know, Marcus Simmons. Yes, mm-hmm. Marcus was there. You know, Gary, and you know, we had all the cousins that were at Howard. Um, so, you know, I, I had an opportunity because the Howard coach saw me play, and he's like, "The no-brainer, one hundred percent, hundred, you know, full scholarship, four years." Um, and again, I, I had no clue about the college system. So I just knew it, how it was where I was going because that's a family thing. I didn't know how the other offers work or how it all work. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, two years of high school, All-American in high school. Um, and then I had a full ride to Howard University. So that was amazing, amazing, amazing time. And then just, just before we go on, I, it, it was funny because I want to say maybe 10 years ago is where my uncle before he passed away, told me and started showing me all the offers from other colleges for, for me to come for a scholarship, mm. which they didn't tell me because I didn't, if they told me, I wouldn't understand. You know, I come from Jamaica, you know, I just you know Howard University, that's like yeah. the biggest thing in the world. <laughs> that's right. So for, me, for me to go to Howard and play in ball, it's no brainer. So, but I had a lot of opportunities to go to other big schools and full scholarships for soccer, but, um, and, I, and people ask me now if, if it's something that I regret on the football side, not on the, not on the academic side or the history of our university, because again, my dream was to play the highest level. I mean, Europe is where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so they asked me looking back now, because even Maryland's coach, Sasha, um, the coach is still there, Sasha. I remember he's selling me at the, Mer- at the um, he saw me at the All-American banquet and he's like, Greg, you were the one we wanted. Um, I know if you came here, your, your career would have, you know, gone to a whole nother level. Um, but looking back right now, people ask me, I said, I don't care about the career. I will go right back to Howard University because that's where I belong. Um, whatever God has planned for me is planned for me no matter what. 
Um, so I have no regrets um, going to Howard. Yeah. So Howard University, a great institution. We're both alums. I, I tell people all the time, Howard University changed my life changed. in many ways, many ways in terms of finding who I was and my purpose was at Howard. Talk to us a little bit about your Howard experience, your, your cousins, your uncles, your sisters, your family are ingrained in Howard. But what did Howard mean to you, both academically and athletically? It, mean the, it meant the world. Uh, obviously, you know, as, as, a, as a student from Jamaica, it, it was very similar. We can adapt because the, the Caribbean culture was there, the Jamaican culture was there. Um, so it was easier for me to adapt to Howard University. I mean, the food, you know, we can go hear reggae music um, and then the football was there. It's, and then, so I had seven cousins at Howard at the same time with me. So it was wow. seven of us wow. at Howard University at the same time. And then when I went, when I knew I was going to Howard University, I called up Andre Virtue, I called up Johan, the Jasons, uh, all of my bridging them in Jamaica and say, yo, I talked to the coach. We can get your name. Let's go. We all can go there and turn this program around. And so be it. It happened. So we had Andre Virtue, the twins, Darren Virtue, Poppy Dog, um, Carlington Clark. We had like seven of us from Jamaica national team, U20s. It was all of us played for the U20s at the time. And we all went to Howard at the same time. So that again was, it was, it was so good to be true, but it was amazing time. Academically, it was a no-brainer. Um, but it just exposed, it just opened your eyes to what life is really about. You know, as you said, it, it, makes you, it made you understand what's next. So right? you go to Howard University, but it prepared you for life in America. You know, so it's not just yeah. <laughs> it's showing you in the real world <clears throat> as, as Caribbean folks and African-Americans. And it, it kind of gave you a better perspective of what to um, how to anticipate what's going to happen or give you an idea of what real world is like. So we were prepared. We left as men. Um, obviously, we still made mistakes, but uh, we were prepared for what was next. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just the whole culture and the vibe of our university was, I know, I, I dreamed for one of my kids to go there. Yeah, well, I, I, I tried that. One of my, my eldest did graduate school there, but you know, they, these kids have their own path. That they want to <laughs> yeah, exactly, I, exactly. I did I did my honest best, but you're absolutely right. We left Howard University as men. You know, you went to St. George's and I went to Kingston College. In that cocoon in the Caribbean, you were prepared, but Howard did something, yeah. I believe, is, is the polishing or the refining. Exactly. So you, you had this great time at Howard, did well academically, athletically, and then what happens next? Did you get to, I know you got a chance to fulfill some aspects of your dream. So what, what yeah. happened in that space? So, so again, so my, obviously, as you know, Howard University wasn't one of those powerhouse soccer schools. So right. um, obviously I did well at Howard, I scored a lot of goals, um, but it was Howard University. So it wasn't as respected coming out so I had to you know if I if I if I wanted to play at the next level I had to go try like so I had an opportunity to try out in Hershey Pennsylvania which was an A-League team at the time which um I think MLS just started it was yeah MLS just started um maybe three years in and that A-League was the league below which was you know was around 30 years before that so it was a well-established league um, so, yeah, I saw the opportunity to try out in Hershey, Pennsylvania. That was the only option I had. Um, so we went up there. Uh, just me and Raymond, actually. Me and Raymond went up at the same time, Raymond Goodlett. Um, and we were told we can come for two weeks on a trial. Um, but the club would find us a host family. So we'll stay with them and just go to training. And, and so two weeks pass. They said they need to see us for another week. Um, but again, that was my dream. That was me and Raymond's dream. Like if, if they said, you know, so. But the, then the, the host, per, the host um, family that we're staying, we were asking us, so what? What are they saying? Anything? Three weeks pass? No, they still want to see us. Four weeks pass. I think at that point, our host family said, you know, I, I'll go find out what's going on because it's not fair to you guys, not fair to us. We need to know what's going on. Um, so the finally they said yes, we have. 
we have two spots left on the roster. Um, I would definitely want to offer it to Raymond and, and, and Greg. So we were ecstatic. I mean, this was a dream. Um, so we were able to have that. They gave us an apartment. And so we ended up signing. I think I signed a two-year contract there. Um, and that was amazing. Um, so it, it turned out where I was a player that was the last on the roster. Um, so obviously I, I went into the went into the preseason, had to prove myself over and over. I had to be 10 times better than everybody else. Um, so went into the preseason, played some games, scored some goals. Um, season started, I didn't start the first, I didn't play at all the first game. Second game I came on, um, we're losing 2-1, I think. I came on and scored two. Tied the game. Next game, or you know, come on. So it was, it was just one of those things. Wrapped us four games. Coach had to say, "Now we have to start you," um, because there was a there was another forward that was playing. He was a well-established forward in the league, like you know, top player in the league, scoring a lot of goals, and he was the one that was in my position. So I had to prove myself. And after five games, I ended up taking his spot, and then you know, became the rookie of the year that year. Yep. Yeah. End up scoring 18 goals in the league my fresh my rookie year and I got awarded a rookie of the year for that for the league in that year. Um then all the MLS clubs came calling. Um but at that time, you know, I thought it was a better situation for me contract wise to stay another year and prove myself again. And hopefully I'll be more respected on that level because again it was the same thing. A League, Hershey. You know, the contract wasn't worth anything. Um, it was very disrespectful to offer. So I was like, let me just, let me just, let me just go back and prove myself again. Um, I did the same thing, 18 goals um, <clears throat> in Hershey, um, and then I end up DC United. I went to a Concacaf um, Championship tournament with them in the off season of Hershey, my second year. They wanted to pick me up as a discovery player. MLS says, no, there's a lot of MLS teams interested in him, so I have to go in the draft. So going in the draft, MLS, um, DC and I could say, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely go out. First big time we get a chance, we're going to grab you. So at that time, <clears throat> it was DC was my first choice. Uh, Miami was my second choice because DC is where my family is. Howard, you know, staying yeah, yeah, deep. Yeah. It's a good vibe. So Miami got the call before DC and Miami drafted me. So I ended up going to Miami Fusion in 2001. Mm -hmm. um, and how was so that, that? That was amazing. That was, um, so that year Miami Fusion, they still say that was the best team in MLS history. Um, we had a bunch of Precky, had, um, Pablo Mastrioni, had Diego Serna from Colombia, um, Bishop, Ian Bishop from Man City. It was an amazing team. Um, and Ray Hudson was a coach, mm -hmm. and, and and I don't know if you listen to Ray Hudson talk in commentary, but that's exactly how he is as a coach. It's just beer mm -hmm. energy, beer vibes. Mm -hmm. Man, you you look forward to go to training every day. You look forward to just seeing him because it's just positive energy. Um, and so I had a, I had it was Diego Serna and and Alex Pineda Chicon was the two strikers in front of me, um, and they both were. MVP and leading scorer the MLS that season, and they never got hurt. So you know, my playing time was limited. <laughs> but as uh, still, it was still an amazing time for me because you know Ray Hudson always said, "Just wait your chance," and you know he managed it well. I was I was just a young kid learning, so I was soaking up everything. So it was amazing. And then, unfortunately, the team <clears throat> folded that in 2002, so we didn't have a 2002 season. But that's when Miami folded. Um, really, I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't. That's that's. I did not yeah, know. That. Yeah. So 2001, I got drafted. I played it 2001. At the end of the year, Ray Hudson said, "You're the starter next year." Diego Serna won't be coming back. I told my agent, everything set up. So excited. Told my wife, "Let's go." You know, looking at a house in Miramar. I never forget. We have it. We picked a lot and everything. Um, so in February. And in January, they called us and told us that the owner pulled the plug and there's no longer a team. So, yeah. So, Miami Fusion and Tampa Bay Mutinies, those two Florida clubs, um, 
folded that year. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 So, so listening to you replay and recount all of this, one of the things we said to the guests in terms of their career and their journey, I've asked a simple question. <laughs> Is where you are today? Was there was it a straight line or was it meandering? No. <laughs> oh my no 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 no! Listen, as my mother always tell me, if you want something good, you know, you have to run. Yes, <laughs> right, there's right. gonna be hills and valleys, and if you don't go through anything, that means you're not gonna be. In. You have to go through struggles to achieve anything. You have to understand what it is to fail. You have to understand what it is to be on your face and feel like there's no out. But there's a, you have to be able to go through that to, honest, to appreciate the greatness um, and know how to have a work ethic to get to that next level. Um, yeah. So obviously, at the time, it was rough. But looking back now, I thank God for the, all the struggles um, yeah. because I wouldn't be nowhere close to who I am if I didn't go through those struggles. But, you know, it's funny. Everybody that I've had on this show and people see them, people will see you now and what you're doing, which we'll yeah. get to in a minute and say, wow, this stuff comes easy. And look <laughs> how easy he's doing this thing. And no, you know, no. every guest that I've had, they're like, they, they laugh because they're like, if people only knew. But as I'm listening to your story and going back and just picking up and said, you wanted to do this from day one. You wanted to play professional football day one. So no, the work that you're doing with, um, own touch and the work that you're doing in the community, the kids that you're inspiring, the kids that you're, is this your way of giving back to the community or is this your way of getting others to realize the dreams that you had when you were their age, I guess? No, so football is my life. I, I was privileged enough to know what I wanted when I was nine years old. My mother always told me, you cannot just bank on football. I said, mommy, if I'm not going to be a professional, I'm going to be a coach, I'm going to be an owner of a club, I'm going to be involved with the game. I knew my life is down that path. Whatever in the game, I'll be a part of it. So after playing 10 years pro, um, you know, I knew because then I started doing private lessons. I started doing a little coaching on the side while I was playing. Um found out that I really like like it. I saw the, you know, making impacts in, in kids' lives. Um, so when I finished playing now, I started coaching at a club team. This is very interesting. I don't think a lot of people, I mean, when I tell this story, people um, marvel about this. Um, and they will get into what I'm doing now. Is So when I started coaching in the club soccer in the U.S., right? So, you know, these, you know, these youth soccer teams in America is, you know, they give you a team, you train twice a week for an hour, hour and a half, maybe, and you play games on the weekend. Mm -hmm. So I took a team, and I was coaching at first session. These kids couldn't control or pass. So I found myself doing a lot of technical training because they can't control and pass. How are we going to play in a game? Right. So two three weeks, we all play a game, and I'm more focused on individuals. Um two, three weeks in, apparently parents just started complaining to the club that I'm not preparing their kids for the game. Wow. So I told the director, I said, what do you mean prepare them for the game? I have to prepare. Uh, this is how I'm preparing them for the game is by getting them individually sound. If kids can't control the pass to each other, how are they going to play in a game? Um, but he said, no, you, you know, you have to just do functional stuff and, you know, and just make sure you, you know, organize them and help them play a game and try and get some results. So I, look, yeah. I said to my wife, I came home and said, no, no, no. <laughs> I said, babe, this is backward. This is backward for me. I mean, I can't, I can't. I couldn't find myself doing it. I respect and love the game too much to just pick a team and go play a game. I can't. I couldn't do that. That wasn't in me. I'm, I'm more of a technical player. I like kids with skill. So I told my wife, uh, I can't do that. So I started doing small group training um, and just doing all technical. We nothing to do with games, just all technical. The kids start loving it. I start explaining to the parents the importance of this because I said these clubs right now, it's a club. Obviously, they're they give you a uniform and you train twice a week and you play on the weekend. That's their model. That's their brand. That's what they do. Nothing wrong with that. That's just their business model. 
Right. But if you're telling me you have aspirations for your kid to be a better player, you cannot live in that model only. That's a part of it. But you have to get your kid technically sound. They have to know the juggle, pass, move, dribble, everything with both feet, shoot, everything, all the basic techniques. Kids have to be able to do that. So over a period of time, culture starting to change people are starting to understand in the club the clubs at this point have start getting very distance from me right oh, really yeah so um so i started liking that i said no nah, man this is you know I, I i care about individuals i don't care about a team i don't care about the results on the weekend i care about individuals i want for me to help the game in america or help it in my community at a time i need individuals to get better so i said you know what this is my role in this community is because nobody was doing it. Nobody cared about it. It was all about getting a thousand kids and playing games on the weekend. Nobody cared about individual development. So I said, you know what? This is what I niche. This is what I like. I see the impact. Kids are approving and they're having fun doing it and they all want to do it. So I said, okay, that's good. And then I think I said, babe, this is my passion. I think I found my niche after playing. So I came up with a model because I was doing, so, you know, Private, you know, you're doing a private is one on one, you know, people charging seventy dollars session, and it's not much you can do in a private. So there was there was guys doing just privates, and it's just you can't. So for me as a developer, I'm somebody that cares about the game and care about individuals. I have to come up with a package or a program that helps the kid individually in a holistic form. Mm-hmm. So they need to be training with other kids in that same culture. So. I was doing all this on fields, you know, trying to find a car on a field and really. So I had a parent in the, in my, I was doing a private with a, with a parents, you know, one of their kids was a good player. He ended up going to UVA and playing pro now. Um, we were just talking and he just gravitated to my, my passion. And he said, cause he was an accountant. He said, Greg, let's do the math. And he started doing the math. And like, I said, but I said, what I want to do, I want to find a way where kids can pay a one fee, a monthly fee, and to get to do privates, they can train in small groups, and they have unlimited access to a facility where they can train year-round. One fee, and you just come train. Just like, so my model is based off of how I grew up in Jamaica. You play on the streets, you play with kids or camp, play about it's everybody playing. It's just a vibe, it's just an energy, the passion of the game. Um, everybody can come play. <clears throat> so that's the culture I wanted. And I said to him, and he said, ah, I said, bro, that's the only thing I know. And I think this will be massive for this community. So we worked out that, you know, we, we came up with a business plan. We found a facility. We opened a facility, OwnTouch, which is called OwnTouch. So OwnTouch is basically owning your first touch. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And your last touch. Your first touch is when you get the ball and your first touch clean. Your last touch is be able to connect it to a teammate. So your OwnTouch is your your your... You own your first and your last touch, right? Mm-hmm. On the football field and in life. So my program is not about football only. It's about characters, about life lessons, right? So we can get into it more. But it's through the game of football where I'm, you know, bring the community together. It's a one love vibe. And we're preparing kids not just in football, but in life. So we opened the facility. We've had, you know, we have a mentorship program which we consider ourselves mentors. The coaches are mentors. Our kids are the mentees. They pay a monthly fee, music playing, and the kids come in, we have classes, and then just sign up, and it's just fun. You know. Mm-hmm. So, opened my first facility, um, what was that, 2010. Um, yeah. Within a year, yeah. within a year, maybe 30 minutes on the south side of Richmond, those people are screaming. Why we have one over here? We can't drive all the way over there. Can you open one over here? So I end up opening another one over there within a year. Wow. Right? Wow. Um, so we opened, I mean, it was so on touches, one in the southwest end of Richmond and the other one on the south side. Um, we did that for four years. And then a guy in Charlottesville, which is up by UVA, heard about it and came down and did his research and said, I want to open one in Charlottesville. So I said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So I contacted a lawyer and sat down and said, Greg, this can be a a franchise model. Yeah. So we went through the whole rigmarole and figured it out. So now it's a franchise. So now we have have two in Charlotte right now, two here. The one in in Charlottesville 
after two years, the guy couldn't manage it. Um, because you have to have that vibe. You have to have that. You were just up here and trying to run a business. For it. Yeah, you just up here and run a business, which I learned from that. Um, yeah, so the whole the whole thing. And right now, today, after 12 years, you know, we have over a thousand kids training um, throughout oh, the whole man. community of Richmond. And the big thing about the proudest thing I am about the program is now, since I changed, I basically changed the culture in Richmond. Now the clubs are doing all technical. Now the clubs are sending kids to OnTouch because it helped their teams get better, which is what I was telling them 10 years ago. Now all the teams are better. The Richmond United, which is the ECNL Academy, I would say 90% of those kids are OnTouch kids through the program. They're playing at the highest levels. They're pro players now and full scholarships to college and top elite players. Because my passion was just to get kids to be the best soccer player they can be. Whatever level it takes them, it takes them. And also create a culture where kids from different clubs can come to own touch and train together. So typically, if you're playing for one club or the other club, you never, you don't even know the other kids. You don't get to play with them. So my culture is created where all these kids can now come to own touch, which is the community center, basically, and come train and compete together. Um, so that was the pro- that's the biggest thing I take away from this, is that I really... Re- Unite Richmond. There's a lot of marriages happen through OnTouch. Uh, her, I'm hearing. There's a lot of uh, business opening. There's there's um, a lot of partnership going on because now parents get to meet each other. All right, well, we're not rival. You're cool. You know what I mean? So we create a nice little niche. It's an awesome feeling. So you know, as I listen to your passion, that's where your core and your passion intersect. That's where you'll have your greatest success. Do you think that's what's happening to you know? Or, or let me ask the question this way. 12 years in, and you're still a fairly young man. What's the next 12 years looking like? To impact even more. So my next my next phase now is, um, which we're working on a massive project, is to take this into the inner city of Richmond. Oh, okay. So right now we're in the suburbs. So I basically got the culture set up here. I have all the backing in the community. Uh, my next step goal now is to go into the inner city of Richmond with my suburban kids and parents and going in the community and making a massive difference, introducing a game to those kids, have programs for them, scholarships. Um, because my belief is U.S. soccer would never achieve anything or would never win the World Cup. I tell people, U.S. will never win the World Cup until they get the inner city kids playing the game, until we get these African-Americans, Latinos, lower-income player kids playing the game. It's reality. It's, that's yeah. how it is in the rest yeah. of the world, in football and basketball. That's, just, that's where the athletes are. But those kids are not playing because they're not being introduced to the game properly, right? So, you know, Greg, if you're able to pull that off, that would be a massive seismic shift in yeah, many but the, but it's going to happen. It's no yeah. brainer for me. I mean, that's it's, it's not an if, it's when. Is when trust me, trust me. <laughs> spoken like a true Jamaican in, in many ways. Yeah, so let me ask you this question. We have about 15 minutes left, and I want to make sure I run the gamut and get you to um just talk on some things that really what this podcast is about is about inspiring young people and inspiring people to move beyond. You've already said a lot, but if you had your druthers as what you have seen in Richmond um, and the places that you're, 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 you're branching out into, your own experiences. When you look at what's happening today with young people and you know with COVID and there's a sense of hopelessness and sometimes angst and anxiety. If you had your druthers and you had a magic wand, so to speak, and you had an audience of young people, what words of inspiration or encouragement would you share with them just based on all you there yeah 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 you heard the yeah like a pause yeah yeah no so you know it's a good question um and it's and it's it's typically the basic what we always hear is you know, never give up, keep fighting. Um, you know, if you can find a passion, you know, stick to it. But I've been, I've been struggling with that. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of inspirational things we're telling our kids, um, you know, which is fine, which is great. Um, but I'm, 
you know, so if you ask me what inspiration I'll, uh, you know, I'll give back is you never give up. You know, my mom told me, I tell you, I, I'm, a, yeah, I'm a mama's boy, you can tell. Um, <laughs> but there's nothing in life you can't achieve if you put your mind to it, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from. Um, and whatever is for you is for you, but you have to find it, right? You have to be open-minded. You have to be willing to learn. Um, all that good stuff is fine and dandy. But as you asked me about my passion next is these kids in the communities don't have these options, right? They, they might have that belief, but they don't have enough opportunities, right? So that's where my passion is now. My, the rest of my life is to find these opportunities for these kids and not just tell them what we did. And, you know, we have to show them now. We have to, we have to prove it to them that these things are possible, but we have to give them these opportunities, different opportunities. So that's my goal. Um, and, and that's what I'm working very hard towards now. I think we're close to something um, that hopefully, you know, God willing, it will be sooner than later, which um, is a big deal. You'll hear about it. I can't wait to, to, for it to happen. Um, but that's it, you know, because it's like I do a lot of things. We go to community, we give, you know, motivation speak and we, you know, hand out gears. But these kids, I mean, these kids have nothing. I mean, they have no hope. I mean, they, they might have a hope in their brains, but their day to day is just rough. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's where I'm about. You know, other kids, it's, you know, like my kids, for instance, I tell them they're fortunate. They're very fortunate. They're very privileged. I don't, they don't understand it because that's just you know, the culture they were brought up in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I told them, I said, no matter what you have right now, is what you have right now is what me and your mom's providing. It's not yours. None of this is yours. Whatever you want in life, yeah. you're going to have to work for it. We're providing, we're giving you options and opportunities, but none of this is yours. When you graduate and leave the house, then Right, but our job is to prepare you for that. Um, but it's 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 there's a lot of things out there that you know it's it's um, very distracting for young kids today. But it's it, there's a lot of hope because you know I think there's a lot of people like myself that's trying to do the right things and give these kids opportunities. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to believe in yourself first and foremost. You have to have some belief in the higher being, whichever you know direction you go. But there's something that you need to set goals in life and go after it. Yeah. You know, you have to go after it. And nothing and nobody can stop you. Because you know, you and me, I'm sure you have stories. People told me when I left Jamaica, I would turn out to nothing. My coach in Jamaica told me I'll never be a football player. Um, I'm big, long, and worthless. These are <laughs> negative vibes I was yeah, growing up yeah. hearing. Yeah. But yeah. I look back at those things now and I see the coaches today and I love them. I appreciate it because that's still in my mind at 46 years old and it drives me even today because of what they were they were doubting me so now that motivates me to to try to achieve greatness so every negative could be a positive it's just how you spin it how you spin it now your good friend andre virtue is doing the same thing pretty much down in jamaica and yeah i think last summer you guys came together own touch and and ballers is was that that's basically just a coming together of the same thinking or mindset to help the youths, is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it's funny because I think I, me and Andre disconnected after college for probably a couple of years, three, four years. And then, so what he's doing in Jamaica is basically what I'm doing here. But we never talked about it. It's just, that's his dream, his passion. And this was my dream and my passion. And end up, after we end up connecting again, we realize our passions are the same and we're doing the same thing. Um, so yeah, we're we're doing things together. And then, and again, the next part of it is is when I talk about something big, that's part of it, not just not just locally, but in Jamaica as well. Yeah, well, you know, I, I as I said at the start of the show, um, and one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, uh, people always ask me, Jerry, how you select your guests? How do you guess your guests find you? Because you know, we've had Edwin Moses on, Andrew yeah. Young, um, David Thomas. Beverly Tate and people like, well, how do you know these people? And it's just through my career and my movements. Yeah. But really and truly, why I am so humbled that you accepted the invitation is because you might not know it, but there are people like myself who are seeing what you're doing and we're like, that's what, what Greg is doing is what we need. So 
it's 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 I'm just humbled that you joined us here today, and hopefully Andre will will join me as well in the future. But as we come to a close, what anything that you want to leave with us that is on your heart about the work that you're doing, the impact you're trying to leave, anything in that realm that your your, your athletes, your charges, their parents that can walk away with from this discussion. Because you've shared a lot today. And I can tell you, I'm doing, this is my 57th episode. I can tell, 55th, sorry. And I can tell you this is going to be one of the good ones for the youngsters. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really making a difference, as you said. My goal in life, I was blessed with a lot of opportunities. I worked hard to work hard for it. A lot of doors were open for me. And, you know, it's my time to give back. Right, it's my time to leave my community better than I found it, um, yeah. and not just in Richmond. But I have a major passion for Jamaica. There's a lot of needs in Jamaica that I cannot not sit back and watch any longer. Um, while I'm still healthy, I still have a strong mind. I have some resources that I feel I've, I have convinced them, and they're passionate about getting involved in because they believe in my passion. Um, that it's it's is, is something that's a must. There's something that I have to do. It's not a choice for me anymore. It's not if it's mm. going to happen at all. It's, it's going to happen. It has to happen by the hook or the crook themselves. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, so that's, that's my inspiration. That's who I am. Um, you know, I'm at a place right now where I can start thinking that way. The business is running itself. I was, pretty, again, I'm very fortunate that way. But that's running itself. I'm not stressed about that. No. God has put me in another place in my life right now. There's a, you know, we go through phases in our lives. I'm in a phase now where it's time to really make a difference and really give back. My family, business is set up nice. Now is the hard work starts. So, hard work starts. Yeah. Well, didn't you guys, um, I might have not seen this right, but you, you did something with a field somewhere. Set up a field in Jamaica, I think it was. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, man, me, I've yeah. done, we've done a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember maybe um, me and Andre link up maybe seven years ago, maybe, where, again, I, I talked to my people in the community here in Richmond, in my, in my in own touch program. I said, there's a need in Jamaica. I need help. I just need, give me all your old football boots, socks, everything. Um, and I said, you know, I would like to maybe invite maybe 20, guys, 20 of you guys to just come down because I believe I want to just not only help. I told these parents, I said, our kids in this community is a privilege, right? So we need to expose them to what it hard life looks like, right? And we have to expose the hard life kids in the community. What, you know, so it's a balance. All the kids are together. We we can learn from each other. The, 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 the privileged kids can learn from the underprivileged and vice versa. So I said, you know, my dream would love, you know, if, if we can find maybe... 10 families, five wow. families, and we can go to Jamaica and bring some stuff and invite the kids and we link up with Andre, we do a camp and we come to find out we had over 150 people wow. fly to Jamaica, right? Went to Jamaica from Ontat, from Richmond. We link up with Andre, went to Ocherios, we had a field in Ocherios. We had at least 15 to 20 bags of gears and books wow. and socks. Wow. We put it out on the field and we didn't even know Andre linked up with one of the local guys and he said he don't know if he can find the kids because it was in the summer. As soon as we lay out those clothes, <laughs> kids come through the woods like from nowhere. I couldn't even <laughs> handle it. You know what I mean? Right. And they come in, they come in with no with 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 no shirt and a shot with hole in it. You know they not have on the underwear. So it's so, so sad that our parents, moms, took off all of their clothes and had a towel. And they jumped wow. in the van and went back to the hotel. That wow. we left, wow. we left everything. Wow. And you can talk to these parents today and their kids, major impact in there. They made them better. We have so many stories from that families that went to Jamaica to see these kids were polite. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, but they had nothing. But they were still smiling. They weren't crying. Yeah. These kids were having a good time. And so our privileged kids are crying because they don't have a cell phone. Right. right, and they see these kids have nothing, and they're enjoying themselves. So it was an eye opener, which was yeah. was massive part of. So again, and we've done smaller things since that. Uh, barrels downstairs now shipping to Jamaica for Andre, and so I continue to do all that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Greg, this is impressive stuff. 
I've seen from a distance, but just listening to your story here today, I can tell you, this is one of the podcasts that I know I'm going to get a lot of calls about. Um, but what I would like to do is when we're getting this out is to also get some information about own touch and other things like that yeah. and what you're doing and the ethos behind it, because these are, what we try to do is to tell a story. Yeah. And the story is amazing. I, I've learned quite a bit about you. My level of respect for you has got another level, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Just based on this interview today. And quite frankly, uh, I, I watch you. I see what you're doing. Your, your, your family, your beautiful family, your children, seeing them in the soccer um, fraternity now and just watching from a distance, cheering you on, sir. And all that you've shared today is really eye-opening. And I'm just humbled that you joined me, me today. It's an absolute honor and privilege. And I know you know, but everybody watching you too, so you keep doing what you're doing because I do follow you. So right, well, you are inspiration. Yeah, I'll, we, we just have to do, just have to do the work. Just have yeah, to do the work you were assigned. We have no, as I said, we have no choice. We have to do the right yeah. thing, man. Yeah, just have to yep. do the work. Just have to do the work. Yeah. But thanks a lot, Greg. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we just spent an hour with Mr. Gregory Simmons. And quite frankly, you heard his passion. You heard me talk about passion and core intersecting. You just heard an hour-long interview of someone who is living his passion. And not only living his passion, but excelling at it. And as you do that, as we've always said, you pull others along and you'll inspire and bring them forward. Because what it is at the end of the day is we are our brother's keeper. And as he said, it does take a village to get through this thing called life. No man is an island. And we can, we have to get we need each other to get things done. So until next week, remember, it's easy, son. Your life lessons on your journey to your purpose. Until then, take care and be safe. See you next week. <laughs>